Good morning, Harvest. Hey, why don't you, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 is going to be this morning. As you're turning there, it was, a, it was a number of years ago, we had a, a team of people from our church that had headed down to Nicaragua because we were involved with a church there that was just getting started. And so we went down there with a group of, of people to, to do a lot of practical things to help them get launched out on their very first Sunday. And, and there was a lot of things we're doing um, uh, just practically. We're also just wandering through the village in, in, on this island of Ometepe, and we're, we're inviting people to church on that Sunday. And it was the, the Saturday night that we were there, and we're wandering around this village and we run into this guy named Poppy. Poppy was the town drunk, like literally, like everyone knew who Poppy was. He's the guy, the town drunk, and, and he was living up to his name that Saturday night, all right? And, and there's Poppy, and Poppy's with this Russian tourist. The two of them definitely had been into a number of bottles of liquor. They, they were so lit up that, that this Russian guy speaking Russian, Poppy speaking Spanish, and somehow through the alcohol, they understood each other. Like they were just having this sweet conversation. And, and, and the pastor's like, we got to invite these guys to church the next morning. I'm thinking, that would be awesome. Let's do it. But in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, there's no way they're going to remember even meeting us. How are they ever going to remember that we, we invited them to church? But sure enough, that next Sunday morning, Poppy and the Russian roll into church. And there's a part of me, and, and I mean, I think I'm, I'm pretty much a grace-driven guy, but I'm also a practical guy, and I'm thinking, all right, are there ushers that will, like, if these guys start to just go nut bar in the service, like, what will we do? Like, that's what I'm thinking. And, and, and listen, they sang loud, all right? They amened everything. And I'm actually thinking, can we bring these guys back to Muskoka? Because we could use that in our services, all right? And, and, and what happens, though, at the end of the service, Poppy makes a beeline for the pastor, and I don't know enough Spanish to know exactly what they were saying, but they're, they're talking and Poppy is just tears streaming down his face. And the following year, we went back to the same church because they want us to help build a, a church building. And so we went back the next year to this church and, and sure enough, they're helping, digging holes to put posts in. There's Poppy. And I'm like, Poppy! And he's like all excited. And, and I, I, I kind, of, kind of through broken Spanish, English, sort of figure out what, what's going on. And, and here's, here's what he said. Here's a guy who was the town drunk. Like that was his identity. That's what he was known as. Now he's invested, involved. He's actually part of the leadership team of this church that's growing. And, and I asked Poppy what happened. His answer was this. He said, I met Jesus that Sunday. And when you meet Jesus, he changes you. And I got to tell you, I, I know that that story can be repeated across this room, that, that there are many of you who would say, man, I want to stand up and give the same poppy story that, that I met Jesus and Jesus has changed me. He's changed everything. And, and God's word, the New Testament especially, filled a story after story of, of people who encounter Jesus, like literally face to face, and these people are changed. And so over the next few weeks, we want to take a look at a lot of these encounters with Jesus. You're going to find people who are religious people who encounter Jesus. You're going to find skeptics who encounter Jesus. You're going to find poppies in Scripture, people who are so far from God, have a, a, an identity that would that make them think, there's no way I could get near to somebody like Jesus. I want us to look at these. I want us to look at these encounters because I believe that Scripture is clear that when you have an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. Prodigals come home, like, like damaged, damaged relationships are healed, addictions are broken, shame is erased, joy becomes real, hope comes alive. Why? Why? Because we encounter Jesus. 
Now, this morning's encounter, as we jump into Matthew chapter four, it's gonna be a little different than the other ones we're gonna be looking at in this series because we're gonna see in Matthew chapter four, Jesus encounters Satan. But here's why we're starting here. This encounter sets us up for all the other encounters. It, it shows Jesus for who he is, that he is uh, right away at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, you see that he is the victorious, conquering savior, that he, that he already defeats, conquers Satan, sin, death. It's in that we can read this, Matthew chapter four, and we can have this complete deep down in the guts of our soul assurance that we can be changed when we meet Jesus. I would say that Jesus' victory over Satan here in the wilderness is not just one of the most significant moments in Jesus' life. Listen, it's, it's also, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, that, that what Jesus accomplished defeating Satan in the wilderness is one of the most significant moments in your life as well and in your eternity. Get your Bibles open. Look at verse one of Matthew chapter four. It says this. It says, and Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now you're reading that. The very first word there, then, it's an important word. So then, well, what what happened before that? Because what happens before the encounter with the devil is so important. You see, in chapter three, before you get to chapter four, what's happened? And it, it happens right away. This isn't a, hey, and sometime later or years down the road. This is an immediate happening. Chapter three, Jesus comes up to John the Baptist and says to John the Baptist, hey, John, baptize me. And, and John the Baptist is like, yeah, no, I'm not baptizing you. I'm not worthy to baptize God the Son. And, and why would you need to be baptized? You have no sin. And Jesus says in chapter three, verse 15, it's, it's fitting that I get baptized to fulfill all righteousness. J- Jesus is saying in this moment in chapter three, I've come with a job to do. And I'm going to fulfill that job. And, and I'm coming to a job that the, the very first Adam that came, the job he had, he failed at it. And Jesus now coming as the second Adam, the perfect Adam, he says, I'm not going to fail. I'm all in on this. If I look at verse 16 of chapter three, it says, then when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So, so before the encounter with the enemy, we see Jesus' encounter with the father. And the father says so clearly, this is my beloved son. He's the one with whom I'm pleased which is amazing if you think about it. What has Jesus done up to this point? Nothing. There's no miracles yet. He hasn't walked in the water, hasn't changed water to wine. He hasn't raised anybody from the dead. He hasn't gone to the cross. And yet yet the father gives the verdict before the performance. Now think about that. If you've ever had your father brag on you and you hear it, right? And how cool that feels. Now think of this, Jesus, God the son, who for all eternity past, the father had lavished his love on him. And yet, yet now for these past 30 or so years, as Jesus comes, takes on flesh and life is a little different for him now as he's, he's fully God, but now fully human as well. There's now this distance. And in this moment, the heavens open up and he hears, behold, my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, like, this is a mountaintop experience. Like, this is like where, where you think after that happens, Jesus will be like, man, okay, this is amazing. We got the Father, we got the Spirit, we got me. Get some sandwiches, get some coffee. We're gonna have some fellowship, right? But that's not what happens. 
It says in verse one of chapter four that right away Jesus led into the wilderness. And you think wilderness, don't think Muskoka wilderness. Like you're like, that's all right. I'd go in this. No, 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 this is Israel wilderness. This is desolate. This is, this is horrific. This is lonely. This is, think, just brown, nothing everywhere, right? Except for things that probably will kill you. Like that's the wilderness. And not just going to this desolate, empty, dry place. He's going to be tempted by the devil. I mean, think about that. He comes up out of the water, and I kind of think of it this way, that, that while he's still dripping wet, while in his ears he still has the voice of the Father, his next move is a step into the wilderness, into a battle that ultimately will determine the future of all humanity, the, your future, my future. I mean, th that's how significant this moment is. And notice it says he was led by the Spirit there. So th this isn't a, a don't, don't, don't think of Jesus stepping in and Satan's hiding in the wilderness going, ha, I got him now. Listen, Satan is very real. Satan is very powerful. But he's nothing compared to Jesus. The, the Jesus who in those, ver this verse right here, you're like, he's in complete control here. It, it's not an accident that Jesus ended up in the wilderness. This is part of the sovereign, redemptive plan of God just rolling out. There's not, not an interruption, not a dangerous moment where you're like, oh no, what's gonna happen? This is God doing exactly what he meant to do, to, to lead Christ to face the enemy on our behalf. And there's such a comfort in that when you think about that, that Jesus steps in in our place saying, no, 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 you don't have to fight the enemy, I'm gonna fight the enemy. But we also see something else here that, and the call to follow Jesus is not a life without difficulties. I mean, anybody who tries to sell you this idea that, that, that there's a, a Christianity without tears, I'm telling you, it's not authentic Christianity. Anybody who says, if you follow Jesus, all your problems are over. Like, like if, if you really have this, this baptism of the Spirit, if you really know that God's pleased with you, if you know that down to the depths of your heart, if you really know that, then man, it's the end of conflict, it's the end of strife. The end of temptation, I'm telling you, that's not true Christianity. True Christianity is a fight. It's a battle. So if you come in here this morning, you're like, man, nobody else here probably fights like I do. Man, it's just such a struggle to follow Christ. No, no, that is the battle we're in. Verse two, it goes on. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> kind of a, yeah, probably, right? Pay, pay attention to that, though. It's, it's so often when we are hungry, when we are isolated, when we're tired, that we'd be so vulnerable to the temptations, to, to the lies of the enemy. I mean, Satan's whole deal is that, that he is a liar. It says in Scripture, he's been a liar since the beginning. John 10, 10 says that, that in his lies, this is what he wants to do. This is Satan's whole game. He wants to kill, he wants to steal, and he wants to destroy. Now, we know that if, if you're a Christ follower, that, that you're fully owned by Jesus, right? That, that your heart of stone has been removed. You've been given a new heart of flesh, the, the heart of Christ, so, so Satan can't possess you. But listen, he's still at work. He's still lying. He's still tempting. And, and he knows that he can't, he can't come after you with a full-on assault, all right, he can't do that because Christ has already declared the victory. So he, he, he can't come at you that way. So what does he do? He fights this dirty war. He fights, like this is kind of like the, the world we live in right now, right? It's, it's a war of disinformation. 
right? Like, like, like the Twitter of your brain has, has Satan bots going on, right? Just throwing out stuff that are lies all the time. Launching lies into your heart, into your family. Tempts you with lies that'll draw you away from God, away from the satisfaction you know that God's promised a life in him with trusting in him as your father. And Satan knows so much how to tempt us. He's good at it. James chapter one gives this picture of, of Satan really like, like a really good fisherman. And he knows the best bait to get us. Right, so picture us right here in this room. We're just a big school of largemouth bass, all right? Can you just be bass? You don't need to be largemouth. I'm sorry if that's offensive. You bunch of big mouth bass, right? And, and we're, we're floating around and Satan throws the line in the water and, and, and maybe for, for a lot of us, the, the line comes in and we're like, that's, come on, that's a hook with a hot dog on it. I'm not going after that, right? So what does Satan do? He switches up and he, and he gets one of those cool lures that like get a spinny and, and jingly and he throws it in and then, then maybe some of us in the room are like, whoa, check out that. And others are, are kind of, you know, we're righteous going, Psh, I can't believe you even call yourself a largemouth bass. Why would you go after that, right? But Satan knows and he throws in the next lure and that's where you go, whoa, I think I like that. And eventually you begin to think, man, that, that lure is better than Jesus, I mean, even right now, even, even now, just, just, just think where you're at right now. Take a moment to kind of stop a bit and think about your life. That, 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 think about this. If you were Satan and then you had a box of bait, what kind of bait would you use to trip you up? What lies would you tell yourself? I mean, pay attention to that. Pay attention to it because the Bible also says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Like what if you knew, what if you knew that a lion was coming after you? Like, like if, if I grabbed you at the end of the service and I'm like, hey, hey just, I just gotta let you know something, that there is a lion and a lot, there's a, it's, it's been released. I don't know how it got out, right? If you're like a long-term Muskoka, Guha's back. He's got these cats, all right? And one of them's escaped. And, and, and I mean, he's coming after you. Like, would that not change your day a little bit? Like when the service is over, you wouldn't just be kind of walking. I don't know if that's how you walk, but you wouldn't be walking out of the service just kind of okay, right? You, you would hit the, the foyer and you'd be talking to somebody with a, how can I help you tag on? You can really help me. Have you seen a lion around? You guys used to have a parking team. Is there a parking team still? Like, like are they looking at my car and seeing, is there a lion up there, right? Knowing a lion was out, you would change some things. And in God's word in 2 Corinthians 11, it says that we shouldn't be outwitted by the enemy because we know his schemes. We know his methods. We know his attacks. We, we know the lures that he's using. So let's not be caught unaware. Know that Satan is real. That he has a plan to tempt you, to, to lie to you. In fact, you see it right here so clearly. Look at verse three as Satan begins to lie to Jesus. It says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Do you see the lie kind of subtly thrown in there? He says, if you are the son of God. You see, when, when Satan comes after us, he's, he's gonna tempt us with, with at least to, to believe a lie about, about one of three things. He's gonna tempt us, don't believe the word of God. 
Don't believe the work of God and don't believe the worth of God. He's, he's gonna get us in one of those. That, that's what he's trying to do. He wants us to question one of those things. And so, so you know that Jesus just came up from his baptism and he'd heard the word of God so clear saying, you're my beloved son. Satan questions that word. I mean, Satan right, right away, so clearly going after the, the identity of Christ, whispering these words of condemnation. And listen, he'll do the same with us. We're in those wilderness experiences of life and, and in that moment, that's when he's gonna say, are you really beloved by God? Is the father really pleased with you? Or he'll cause us not to believe the word of God and say, hey, come on, come on, is this temptation really sin? Like, 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 did God really say the same lie in the garden? Or he'll question the work of God hey, Jesus, look where, look, where, look where your father has you, in the wilderness. Like, does he really love you? Does he really care about you? Or maybe, maybe he'll say something like, maybe the cross didn't count for you. I mean, you struggle with these sins still, so I mean, does God really love you? Satan questions the worth of God, where he would say, God isn't really worthy of your worship. He's, he, he's not your ultimate treasure. You, 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 could, you could go your own way. You could take care of yourself. Wasn't that the, the temptation for Adam and Eve where, where Satan was trying to get them to be convinced that maybe God wasn't for them, wasn't caring for them and, and saying, hey, hey, Adam and Eve, you probably know better than God. But here we have Jesus as the better Adam. Right? Adam and Eve, Adam tempted in a garden full of blessing with a partner beside him and he fails the test. Jesus alone in this desolate place and he will not fail. Satan uses the same temptation with the people of Israel. They, they come out of Egypt. God rescues them from bondage in Egypt. They go through the Red Sea and in the same way as Christ here, they, they come out of the Red Sea still wet going into the wilderness and they hit the wilderness and they begin to doubt God. Maybe his word's not true. Maybe his works aren't true. Maybe, maybe he's not worthy to be worshiped. And, and if you read in Exodus, what do they do? They, they just immediately go, okay, God's not for us. Let's build our own God. And they put together this golden calf, start worshiping that. And they failed the test. And it's so remarkable that in the very same place of Israel's rebellion and failure is the same place of Christ's victory. This wilderness, this place of rebellion and complaint and idolatry now becomes a place where the Son of God goes, listen, representing you and me, saying, saying Adam failed the test. Israel failed the test. I won't fail it. I will be your representative and I'm gonna stand before the enemy. I'm gonna win your victory. So how do we battle these lies then? I mean, Satan's first temptation here to Jesus, hey, hey, turn these stones into bread. Like, you gotta be hungry. And, and you are the son of God, so you obviously can turn stones into bread. Listen, there, there's nothing wrong with bread. In fact, there wouldn't even, I just say this, there's nothing wrong with Jesus making bread out of stones. I mean, it was a short time later, he kind of did the same thing, but on a multiplied scale where he feeds 5,000 with bread that he creates, Right? Nothing wrong with bread, but it wasn't in God's plan for Jesus at this time. He'd been led by the Spirit to fast. Isn't it interesting that the very first temptation that comes at Jesus is not to do something crazy immoral. The temptation is actually to go after something that's good. 
but it's just not in God's plan yet. How often do you see that, right, in your own life where Satan begins to take good things and, and puts them before you to become ultimate things to say, hey, 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 take your job, take your marriage, take your kids, take, take these things and, and make them the most important. Let those things drive your decisions. And you begin to think, man, I think I want that more than what I want that the Lord has for me. And maybe you begin to think, maybe you're a student and you think, you know what, I, I don't think I can get through high school doing things God's way. I can't be happy that way, so I'm gonna take matters in my own hand. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do high school differently. Or, or, or in work, you're, you're thinking, man, I, I need to make more money. I have to get ahead. And, and it's, it's not wrong to, to provide for my family. So, so, and God's moving so slowly on this, I'm gonna take matters in my own hands. Or, or I have to have the approval of my friends. I have to be the best. I have to be recognized. And, and that desire begins to dominate. Your emotions, your thoughts, controls your behavior. See, in this temptation, I like how Russell Moore says this. He says, it's a temptation in all of us that we would rather be fed than fathered. We'd rather be fed than fathered. God, I, I, I know that you're sovereign and good, but I, I actually don't want your plans. I want what I want. What's Jesus' response? Jesus actually quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, which, which is where Israel was wandering in the wilderness. He takes a quote from there. Look at verse four. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying there's something so much more important than bread and it's fellowship with my father. There's something more sustaining to me than even the physical food. It's, it's God's declaration over me that I'm, I'm his beloved. And notice what Jesus says. He says, it is written. The, the thing that Jesus goes to, how, how do we battle temptation? Where Christ goes, he goes what, what Paul in Ephesians 6 calls the sword of the spirit. That's the weapon in our battle. He, he goes right for the word of God. We like to say this about our church. We have these priorities. We say this is what our church is all about. And the first one is this. We're a church that's centered on the word of God. And so I, I wanna just preach it every Sunday saying here's God's word. What does it say? Listen, I want to challenge all of us to this. You need more than just me preaching every Sunday. You need to study. You need to feed yourself. I mean, scripture says this, that, that, that we need to get into God's word so that we're not just babies still drinking milk when we should be eating meat. The, the picture here is, it's not a pretty picture, but, but imagine all of us kind of making our way into the worship center with our diapers on, all right? Hope, man, I hope pastor smushes up those peas and carrots for me again this Sunday, right? Not a great picture, right? So, so what I'm saying, like, let, let's grow up in the word together. Let, let's jump into small groups and, and dig into the word with each other. Let, let's memorize scripture. Amen. Amen. Not just for Awana kids, right? You're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm older. I, I don't know if I can memorize. Memorizing so hard. And listen, if you're a dude around my age, I bet you can quote most of Monty Python's Holy Grail, all right? <laughs> Right? I'll start you off. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound, right? And you're like, I got that, right? And you can go with it, right? I think, I think the reason we don't lean into things like this, the reason we don't lean into, man, I, I want to memorize God's word, I want to get into God's word, is because we forget that there's an enemy. And I was thinking about hunting 
not myself going hunting, but I was thinking about the actual sport of hunting and, and just find it funny they call it a sport. It's funny because only one team realizes that it's a sport. Right? Do you get that? <laughs> right? The dude with the gun has an advantage because the deer is heading out for what he thinks is, I'm just going to get breakfast. He didn't realize the ref has blown the whistle. The game is on, right? Listen, if you don't realize the game is on, the one hunting will always win. The enemy wants to kill you, to steal from you, to, to, to destroy everything that is good and godly in your life. And so what do we do? We get into God's word because we know that Satan is the father of lies and I want to know the truth. I don't want to believe his whispers. I want to stand on the truth of God's word. We all need some it is written in our life, in our hearts. We need the it is written, not, not because, listen, not because we need his word to defeat the devil. No, 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 we need his word to remind us that he's already been defeated. I love it. It, it is written works because it is finished, right? That Jesus proclaimed from the cross, rose again from the grave, and if, and if Jesus walks out of that grave, you and I can walk in a newness of life. I love it. Jesus pushes back with God's word. The enemy has to scramble. He can't fight the sword of the spirit. So what's he do? Look at verse five. The devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Oh, Satan's now taking scripture. It's written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Satan's like, you want to use scripture? I can use scripture. And he quotes a verse. Now remember I said, Satan is a liar. He will use scripture ripped out of context to steal, kill, and destroy. Maybe you've seen it, I've seen it, where, where, where people grab a, a piece of God's word and they, they pull it out of the truth of the context because they want to defend all sorts of things. Well, the Bible says God wants me happy and I'm not happy in my current marriage, so... I think God wants me to leave and don't argue with me because I've got a peace about it. The peace of the spirit for sure. I mean, so many verses can be manipulated into what, what they don't say, but we want them to say. It's one of the reasons we encourage you to get into a small group because, because when we're together learning God's word, it's so, so much less likely for us to, to misinterpret scripture. When we read in a community, you're in a place where someone can go, mm, I'm not sure that's what it means. So Jesus responds in verse seven. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What was Satan's temptation there? He says, hey, jump off. And if you are the son of God, going after his identity again, if you really are, then God will take care of you. So let's prove it. Let's see if God really will. And Jesus' response is, why do I need to prove what's already been declared? He already said, you're my beloved. And what the temptation here is, is, hey, hey, are you gonna trust your circumstances more than you're gonna trust God's promises? I mean, it's so easy to fall into, isn't it? And this is something I would struggle with all the time where I look around horizontally and I forget the promises of God and, and you're like, God, why, why is this so hard? Why, why are my finances struggling? Why, why am I battling with this illness? Why is this relationship so difficult? And, and here we see Jesus I mean, Jesus is the beloved son. 
completely pleasing to God, walking in step with the Spirit, exactly where he's supposed to be, and yet here he is in a desolate place. So when God leads you to one of those places, maybe financial hardship, maybe it's betrayal by friends, maybe it's unappreciative children, maybe it's a difficult relationship, maybe it's sickness or struggle, what what will you believe? Will you interpret your circumstances through God's word? Or God's word through your circumstances? Listen, the greatest word spoken over every single circumstance is the cross. The greatest demonstration of God's love, it has already been declared. A love that goes beyond the trials and the difficulties and the, and, and the temptations of this sin-soaked world. I, mean, I love the lyric to that song, Before the Throne, where it says, when Satan tempts you to despair, when Satan tempts you to despair and, and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. Who? See who? See Christ there who made an end to all my sin. In those difficult times, are we gonna believe the promise of the cross over the difficulties of our situations? Let's keep reading. Verse eight says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This last temptation is the biggest temptation. It's the pinnacle of the temptations. Satan was saying to Jesus, he's saying this, you can have everything you came to accomplish without the cross. And, and temporarily, this would have been great. Imagine how this would have worked out. Jesus is okay, I'll do that. Satan relents. The world is so great for a season. But without the cross, eternity's lost. Listen, I believe this temptation is very real for Jesus. I believe all the temptations are real for Jesus. If they weren't, they wouldn't be true tests. They wouldn't be true temptations, right? This one, though, you see this temptation come up a number of times in the Gospels. Remember when, when he tells the disciples, hey, guys, I'm going to have to suffer and die, and Peter pulls him aside and says, no way. No way, you're not going to suffer and die. What was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. Same temptation. No, no, no. No, Jesus, you can have the crown without the cross. Same temptation comes again in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, Jesus is praying, praying so hard that he's sweating blood. Now, now why is he praying so hard that he would sweat blood? Was he afraid of the cross? Was he afraid of nails being pierced through his hands? Was he afraid of the beating? No, no. I think he was struggling with that prayer in that moment. And three times he asked the Father, take this away from me, because he knew what it meant that he was going to become sin for us. Every rape, every murder, every sexual abuse, every moment of pornography, every war, every, 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 every sin that you've ever committed, that, that became him on the cross, taking on himself. And he says three times, Father, if there's any other way for me to buy them back. And then Jesus prays what I think is the most powerful prayer in the history of the world, where he says, Father, not my will, your will be done willingly, purposefully goes to the cross, tortured and whipped, beaten, a crown of thorns crushed onto his head, nails driven into his hands and to his feet. And after he shed his blood, he cries out, it is finished. And listen, in that moment, the power of Satan destroyed forever. 
And I told you at the beginning of this message that, that, that this message of Jesus winning the battle against Satan was one of the most significant moments in your life and in your eternity. And here's why, here's why. The first is this. When you face temptations and trials, you know how to respond. Respond the way Jesus did, that, that whatever, whatever comes at you, whatever sins in your life, whatever sin you struggle with, you, you find where in the word of God that God talks about that trial, that lie. And you get into God's word, and you study, and you memorize. You're like, well, okay, uh, uh, I'm kind of looking at the stuff I struggle with. And maybe you're like, I struggle with anger, or, or I struggle with fear, or I struggle with lust, or, or it's unforgiveness that gets me, or it's despair that gets me, or maybe it's your circumstances right now. Whatever that circumstance is, and it's overwhelming you, let me encourage you, memorize some it is written. And when Satan brings that temptation to you, when Satan brings that lie to you, I mean, you can look right into the face of Satan and go, hey, Satan, here's what God's word says about this. You, you quote the scripture and Satan's gone. Why? Because the word of God is powerful. Secondly, here's why this is such an important passage. In those times when you're moved beyond temptation and you fall into sin, when, when you do fail, when, when you do sin, listen, this, this, this encounter of Christ with the Father and with the enemy is meant to remind us that you have a Savior that never failed. You have a Savior that won every single victory. Listen, if you, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you're, you're like, man, this sounds too good to be true, listen, that victory can be yours today where you bring, this is just amazing, you bring all your failures, all your sin, all your past, and you bring it to Christ. And he says, I'll take all of that and I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you my life. This is one of the biggest lies that the enemy tells, I would say tells a whole bunch of us here a lot. Those who are Christ followers, the enemy tells you this lie that you are your past, you are your sin, you are your situation. He'll lie and say, you're, you're your scars. You're your struggles. You're your divorce. You're your abortion. You're your addiction. You're your abuse. You're your failed career. You're your bankruptcy. You're your criminal record. You're your eating disorder, your affair, your weakness, your anxiety. And, and, and listen, listen, listen. In all of these things, those aren't the biggest part of who you are. Not if you're in Christ. The most true thing about you this morning as someone who's a Christ follower is that Christ paid the full penalty. Took it all on the cross and imputed, gave you the righteousness of God. I mean, so you want to know who you are, then, then look at Matthew chapter three because this is spoken over you right now because when God sees you, he looks at his son as he sees you and says this, you're a beloved son. You're a beloved daughter. In you, I'm well pleased. I mean, let that change you. I'm gonna call the worship team up and I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna respond in worship. Lord God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. I pray that we would never be um, <clears throat> deceived by the enemy to think that he's not real. I pray that we'd never be deceived by the enemy to think that he's not at work. To recognize that his whole goal is to
kill, steal, and destroy, but, but Lord, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by that. We wouldn't be in fear of that because we also know that we are in the hands of the one who has defeated him. That he's already lost. So would your word become more real to us? Would your word fill our hearts? Would you create in us a church that we would say we are a church that's so centered on the word, not just for the knowledge of it, but because that's where we know we have hope. Because we know that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that your word never returns empty. And so I pray even this morning, Lord, we need you for this. We need you to remind us of your promises. To recognize that even that, even, even the, the, the idea of holding on to your word, even the idea of claiming your promises is a gift from you. And so this morning, we come humbly. Jesus, would you speak a better word over us? Father, for those who are in circumstances right now, whether it be health, relationship, financial, financial, where it's a desolate place, Lord, I pray that the promises of your word would speak louder. Lord, for those who are in here this morning and there's temptation that continues to trip them up, God, I pray, I pray that your word would begin to replace what's missing. Your word would begin to show the truth of, of who you are, that you are the greatest treasure. Lord, for those who are in here this morning, they walk in with guilt and shame. Father, I pray that if they're in you, that they would know that you have covered that completely. Lord, if there are those here who don't know you, God, that they could know that you don't clean yourself up, you don't take care of all of that stuff and then come to you, but that, Lord Jesus, we come to you as we are and in humble brokenness say, Lord, I need you. And you bring life. You bring hope. You bring joy. You bring peace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.